Private Lender Podcast, Episode 13. The Private Lender Podcast quote of the day comes to us from Friedrich Nietzsche, who said the surest way to corrupt a youth is to instruct him to hold in higher esteem those who think alike than those who think differently. This is the Private Lender Podcast, the show that shares practical advice and know-how for new and seasoned lenders, from private mortgages on single-family houses to joint ventures on commercial projects and beyond. Discover details about investment vehicles that you won't find at your local bank or online broker. Listen and learn from private lenders and real estate investors, as well as from professionals and entrepreneurs, as they share the details, strategies, and the insight that allows for successful and prosperous lending. Now, get ready to increase your ROI. Here's your host, Keith Baker. Hello, Lender Nation, and welcome to the Private Lender Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Baker, and I want to say thank you for spending your time with me today. I've got a great episode today with Michael Plax from REI Tax Firm. I like to joke, you'll notice that Michael has a very slight accent. He's been in the U.S. for a few decades now, but he escaped the tyranny of Soviet Russia, immigrated to the United States, and now he helps real estate investors escape the tyranny of IRS. Of, of IRS, of the IRS and, and of uh, from Uncle Sam. So I think you're going to learn a lot, especially when it comes to how private lend- the profits from private lending are taxed. It depends on how you claim those funds, what type of income. But before we get into the interview with Michael, I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsors. The Private Lender Podcast is proudly sponsored by the Realty Investment Club of Houston, also known as the Rich Club which is the premier real estate investment association for Southeast Texas. The Rich Club provides its members with the education, resources, leads, and networking they need in order to earn more wealth through their real estate investments. The Rich Club has helped thousands of Houston area real estate investors reach their full potential, and they're ready to help you too. And the Private Lender Podcast is also proudly sponsored by the 713 Houston Area Real Estate Networking Meetup, hosted by Landon Rothstein and Ray Sasser. For more information, go to theprivatelenderpodcast.com slash sponsors and click on the link for 713 Houston Area Real Estate Networking Meetup. Now, back to the show. All right. I want to thank those sponsors, and let's go ahead and get right into the interview with Michael Plax talking about the new tax law, the new changes, and how it's going to affect private lenders. Here we go. Every business deal, any money transaction has a silent partner, Uncle Sam, and the IRS doesn't keep quiet if you don't follow their tax rules, not to mention that you want to share as little of your profits as possible. That's why today we're interviewing the ultimate IRS expert, Michael Plax, known as the black belt in real estate taxation. Michael is a federally licensed tax professional working exclusively with real estate investors since 1996. That's over two decades in business with hundreds and hundreds of investor clients and thousands of tax returns. But most importantly, it's the hundreds of thousands of dollars that Michael has saved his clients in taxes. So we bring him on today to talk about this new tax plan from the, the GOP and how it's going to change the game. So, Michael, welcome to the Private Lender Podcast, and thank you for, uh, for being, agreeing to be interviewed. Welcome. Thank you, Keith. I'm honored to be invited to your podcast, and uh, let's talk about that. Now, you mentioned my nickname as Black Belt in Real Estate Taxation. That's an audio-only podcast. You can't see me. Normally, when I present, I wear martial arts uniform and red gloves, sparring gloves, so I can punch the cardboard Uncle Sam that always comes to meet all presentations. So, <laughs> yeah, since it's audio only, you have to believe me, yes. I am in martial arts uniform right now in black belt and red gloves. 
and, and ready to fight Absolutely. Uncle Sam to save us taxes. Uh, I, I do like that. And, and it's in your logo as well. Like you're punching Uncle Sam in the face. I like that. <laughs> so let's start with, you know, I realize that every question I have is going to say, you know, the answer, well, that depends. Is it individual? Is it an entity? So on and so forth. So we'll try to, I'll try to keep the questions not so granular, but from a private lender's perspective, how is private lending interest taxed differently from any other business? The answer to that depends. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, uh, the story about private lending and taxation is private lending falls somewhere in between two very clear ways of taxation. Now, if you're just making interest, like remember back old good times when you can have money in the bank and receive some interest. Well, that is interest. Interest in ta is taxed in a certain way. It goes you know, on your personal return on Schedule B, and that's very simple. Then you have standard business. Let's say you are being a realtor or a wholesaler, and that goes on a business schedule where you have income and offset that income with expenses. And when you look at private lending business, it's neither there nor here. Like you look at that and saying is, well, where does it go? On one hand, there is interest. On the other hand, there are business expenses. And that to reconcile those two, there traditionally have been two ways how you interpret private lending business for the IRS for tax purposes. Okay, so one, okay. yeah, go ahead. Oh, so yeah, okay. Uh, let's, uh, let's unpack those. Well, so one way is you do treat it as interest. But the problem you have there is, okay, if you treat it as normal interest, it goes where interest and uh, dividends go, which is Schedule B. It's taxed at your normal ordinary tax rate or tax bracket, whatever you call it, depending on your income. But the problem you have there is, what do you do with expenses? If you run that business and have any kind of expenses, whatever that is, if you do marketing, if you do networking, you entertain people for business, buy computer, they, you know, buy some systems, buy supplies, and whatever you do in business, where does it go? Because that schedule is not designed to accommodate business expenses. And what happened in this case is, Private lenders will try to put those expenses in the only place where you could under this model, and that would be with your personal expenses, which is called Schedule A, itemized deductions. And there is a certain place there where you could stick those expenses. It was not an ideal place. There are some restrictions, limitations, and so forth, but that's the place where you could go. So that's Model number one, treat private lending as earning interest. The other part, the other model, alternative presentation would be you treat that as a business, which means the interest you receive is no longer interest, but you claim it as if it's a business income. Similar to commissions if you are a realtor or uh, profits from a flip if you are a flippers or like my fees as an accountant, like interest will be treated the same way. The advantage is you have a very clear way to deduct all business expenses. 
But of course, the disadvantage is that now you treat interest as not interest, but business income. So it comes at a price. What's that price typically? Oh, you know, if you ask me questions, you get the same answer, right? It depends. Depends. And <laughs> <laughs> well, well, so in, the, in your first example, it's, it's treated in your ordinary income tax bracket. Correct. So if it's, if it's, if you're doing business interest is claimed as a business, as business income, what is it the same tax bracket or is it a, is it high, taxed higher? Yes, it is the same tax bracket, but in addition to tax bracket, here is what we need to remember. When you file your tax return as a business person, there are two different taxes that you're paying. Income tax is one and income tax happens to be the same, whether it's interest or business income. There is income tax component. The second mm -hmm. component is called self-employment tax. And at self-employment tax, if you work on a W-2, it's called FICA. But whatever you call it, FICA or self-employment tax, what it actually represents is Social Security and Medicare tax. And combined, you can roughly say that it's 15%. So what happens if you have business income as opposed to interest, you have the same rate for income tax. Plus on top of that, you get that self-employment tax, which is extra 15% of your income. So between these two approaches, you always had to choose between the two evils and decide which is, like, which is less damaging to your bottom line. Because if you treat it as interest, you avoid self-employment tax, but you may not be able to offset it with deductions. If you go uh, business route, then what you have is all deductions are easily allowed, no limitations, no problems there. However, you incur that extra 15% self-employment tax. And you have to balance your situation. You know, at least that was the story until now, until the tax reform but you always had to choose which of the two you will sacrifice, business deductions or the extra self-employment tax. And this is, I guess we should point out, this is for cash. This is not in tax deferred IRAs, 401ks, or any other type of vehicle. This is just cash money out in front. Yes, we are talking about non-IRA investments, definitely. Okay. Okay, excellent. So this... Uh, GOP tax plan that's come about. I understand it doesn't change anything for 2017. We're still going to file our taxes in April the same way we always did. However, beginning next year, the landscape has changed, is my understanding. Yes, you are exactly correct. I'm glad you brought it up because that's one thing I have to explain every time I talk about a new tax reform these days. People are sometimes confused, thinking is, okay, it's tax season now, early 2018. So what do we do differently on the tax return? On your current tax return, you do nothing differently because that's for 2017. For 2017, it's still the old rules. But when you say coming, like going forward from 18 forward, it's not actually going forward, it's the present, it's today. Whatever you are lending today already is treated under the new rules. So it will first show up on your next tax return, which will be in the spring of 2019, not right now. But 
you need to adjust your business today in order to uh, be compliant with the new rules and take all advantages of what is going on and not accidentally fall into a trap that the new tax reform set for you. Are there, are there any specific advantages to private lenders in the new reform? I wouldn't say advantages to private lenders. What actually happens is the way I would phrase it, the rules of the game have changed. And every time you change rules of the game, you change your game. And this yeah. is where, okay, we just talked a few minutes ago about two ways how you report private lending business. Let's look at both of them because both of them changed. So okay. First one was, if you are trying to report your private lending as an interest type of income, remember the problem we discussed was now, what do you do with expenses? And in the past, your expenses would go on a schedule A, your itemized deductions. Okay, here is the unwelcome news, that part of schedule E of itemized deductions, where you used to put those things, disappeared. It's not restricted, you no longer have that part on the tax return, that whole part is repealed. So let me make it very clear because a lot of people don't realize that did happen. On Schedule A, at the bottom of the tax form, of the, at the bottom of Schedule A, there was a section which still exists today, it still exists for 17, but it won't exist next year or 2018. And that bottom portion was called miscellaneous itemized deductions. They were subject to a certain floor, like you would have to subtract 2% of your income from that. But anyway, there was a special section called miscellaneous itemized deductions. It's gone. It no longer exists. You cannot deduct that anymore. And that was the place, the only place where private lenders who took the interest route could deduct their expenses. And it actually gets worse too, because among those expenses, one notable thing we did not mention was the interest if you do private lending on borrowed money. So if you borrow money, like let's say you get some 6% private money and then you turn around and you know, uh, lend it on a rehab project at 10% and two points, whatever, and then you pocket the difference. Now what? especially beginning private lenders do not understand and I wanted, want to make it very clear. Now, in your mind, what is your income? You are receiving interest at 10%, right? So let's say for simplicity of an example, you are having 100 grand private loan and it's lent out at 10%, so you made 10 grand in interest. But that's borrowed money, so you are paying 6% to somebody from whom you borrowed that money, so you are paying 6,000 yourself. So getting 10, paying six, the spread between them is four. And every reasonable person thinks, well, I should be taxed on four, right? Like, just- Sounds reasonable to of me. Of course, well, here is your problem right now, Keith. Use, use the word reasonable, and we are talking about IRS taxation. <laughs> they don't go in the same sentence, you know. No. Never designed to work like that. But common sense says, yes, we should be taxed on the four. And what a lot of new investors are trying to do, and I have even seen unexperienced, uh, inexperienced uh, tax professionals uh, trying to do that. 
they would put on Schedule B 10,000 of interest that you receive. That's all fine. That's correct. But then on the next line, they are trying to put minus 6, which would offset 10, which is completely fair from a lender's perspective, but completely against any IRS rules. If anybody looks at that, if the IRS ever notices that, that deduction will be thrown out. You don't do it that way. You cannot take on Schedule B 10,000 and then subtract six that you are paying. So what you have to do is put that six somewhere else. And that somewhere else, up through now, was on Schedule A, again, that same schedule where we put all expenses in private length. But there was a different section there. The different section was uh, investment interest. So it was right below mortgage interest on your personal house. So what you do is you, that's itemized, personal itemized deduction schedules, and it says personal. So question is like, why, why business deduction like interest on your private lending goes there? Well, because there is no other place to put it. If you treat your income as interest, the only place you can deduct interest you are paying would be between those itemized deductions. So you start deducting property taxes on your house, mortgage interest on your house, and right below that there was a line uh, called investment interest. Now, unlike other deductions, remember I talked a couple minutes ago how the new law eliminated miscellaneous itemized deductions. Okay, they did not eliminate interest. Interest you can do, still can do. That line is there. Problem is the whole concept of itemized deductions was changed so you are still in a situation where you may not be able to deduct at 6,000. So before I explain why so, I want to make that scary concept very clear. This is what can happen if you don't change the way you go about private lending. Under the new law, you will still be taxed on the 10,000 you receive. But you may have lost the way to offset it with the 6,000 interest that you are paying. So I want to make sure that that danger is very clear. In the past, again, you would claim 10,000 interest as income, 6,000 interest as expense on Schedule A, and that opportunity may, may no longer be available. So I'm not saying is it fair, like I'm asking you, Keith, does it make sense? Do you, uh, well, also bad question. <laughs> Do you understand the danger of what I am describing? I, I think I do. Yeah, that's the, the cost. Of, well, I'm not an accountant, but it seems like the cost of doing business is now not deductible. Oh, well, in that sense, in that case, I'm not saying not deductible. I'm saying it's not deductible the old way. If you continue right. doing it the old way, you may not be able to deduct. It. And here is why. If general business expenses, like we talked about advertising, marketing, networking, education, uh, computer technology and whatnot. If all of that stuff is no longer available, that part of Schedule A disappeared completely, then interest did not disappear technically speaking, but may have disappeared practically speaking. This is why there's itemized deductions. You always have a choice, and the choice remains under the new tax law. The choice is, do you use standard deduction, which is kind of no question asked freebie. That everybody gets standard deduction. Or you used itemized deductions if they are higher. 
So, and that still is the rule. You use itemized deductions if they are higher than standard. If they are lower, then you take standard. You take what, whichever is bigger. But what happened with the new tax reform, the standard deduction doubled. So if a married couple today, or like more accurately to say up until 2018, married couple had 12,000 standard deduction. So starting now, they have 24. And let's say you had your all itemized deductions, including that interest on the money you borrowed. And before that, you added up your mortgage interest on your house, your property taxes, your charitable donations, and then the interest on private, um, on the money that you borrowed in order to lend it out. So you added all of that, and it was, let's say, 20,000 combined. You would use itemized deductions, and the 20,000 was bigger than the standard deduction of 12. So you are coming ahead and essentially benefiting from interest you are paying. Right now, if the numbers are the same and your combined itemized deduction, including that interest, is still 20, but the new standard deduction is 24, then you obviously are taking the new one, the, the new standard deduction, it's bigger. Now, what happens with your interest? Well, your interest has effectively disappeared. You supplanted it with a bigger standard deduction, but the interest itself effectively is not deductible. You are taxed on 10 and cannot offset it with the six that you are paying, like following our example. That's a very, very dangerous thing for people. And I expect to have literally dozens of people next tax season when they come to our office for tax preparation. They have not changed anything in the way they are doing business and they will be shocked and upset and mad at me instead of at the Congress saying, oh, what, what happens? Like, it looks like I just got extra 10,000 income, but I only made extra four. And all I have to say is, yeah, I hear you, buddy. You're right. You only made extra four. But because you did not bother to learn you know, to read my blog, to listen to my podcast with Keith, because he didn't hear all of that. You lost the ability to offset it with six and nothing I can do retroactively. I can only tell you going forward what you need to do differently to avoid this problem. So in addition to counseling and preparing tax returns and counseling people on their taxation, you also have to be a grief counselor next year. When, when, when the reality hits home and, and people are going to have tons of questions for you. It's worth, Keith. It's not just grief counselor. It's marriage counselor, too. <laughs> that, now, that's a dangerous area. <laughs> you think tax code's tough. <laughs> well, my hourly rate justifies that. So, yeah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> nice. Nice. All righty. So, so it's, yeah, again, it, the answer is it depends. So, you know, one sense, okay, the standard deduction is going up. So for some people, if they're loaning, loaning, <laughs> they're lending cash, standard deduction could help them out. If it's, but if they're, if they're really making a business off of this, then it, it, the consequences of the new reform could, could be more dire for somebody who's making their bread and butters, say, coming off of uh, interest. They're borrowing money at one rate and loan, loan, loaning it out taking the difference as their income. Yes. Which, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, so I, I just, it kind of, to me, it, it seems, I do most of my own private lending in 
especially now until this is, this is cleared. So I don't have to come to you for grief counseling. I, d- I do it out of a self-directed IRA. So my tax implications will come much further down the road and not so much today. Yes. Okay. Let's, uh, let's uh, brush aside self-directed IRAs for a moment and finish our old conversation. Absolutely. Like our, yeah. Our previous conversation. Okay. The conversation was about how, if you continue treating your private lending business as interest, in the past, you could offset your income with expenses, most right. like with some limitations, but you could, and most importantly, if you itemized, you could offset it with deducting interest. And since a lot of people who use itemized deductions are not going to use it under the new tax reform, then the danger again is you may not be able to offset your interest income with your interest expense, not to mention all other expenses. And the natural question at that point is then, okay, what do you do? And the simple answer is this, don't treat that as interest anymore. Like when earlier on we discussed, we said there were two models that traditionally private lenders used to report their income. One was interest and and offset it with essentially personal style of expenses. The other one was treated as a business. So what you want to do starting from 18 forward is something that in the past we tried to avoid in a lot of the situations. People did not want to go the business route for private lending because they immediately would say this, oh, 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 I go private lending route, I'm going to pay, uh, I'm, the, I'm going the business route for my private lending. That means it's no longer interest, it's business income. And I'm saying it's correct. That's exactly what is happening. But don't I have to pay self-employment tax? Now I'm saying, hey, yep, you do. So now you have extra 15% tax. And people saying is no, thanks. I'm not going there. Well, right now, before you say I'm not going there, I'm saying is remember that if you try to stick to the old ways, you can lose offset of the income you are making by all expenses that you are incurring starting from the interest on borrowed money. So there is huge disincentive to do it the old way. The new way will be go to that business route and report that as ordinary business income, not as interest income. So at that point, you can take all of the deductions. You can offset it with anything, including interest. Itemize those standard deductions are no longer part of the game. They, you don't care about that in, with respect to your private lending. You can deduct everything. And I got a great question the other day from one of our clients who actually borrowed money against their primary residence for that. Like there was that a lot of talk about home equity loans of credit and uh, people heard that it disappeared under the new law. Yes, it disappeared under the new law. That's correct. But one is one thing is even if it was a home equity loan before, you could still deduct it as business interest, as uh, investment interest on Schedule A. But most importantly is this: as long as you move, what I strongly suggest right now, towards that business income model, you don't care anymore how you borrowed the money. Was it on a home equity loan of credit? Was it from your family? Was it 
just some private lender, any way you could borrow money and then you know lend it out at a higher rate and pocket a spread anytime you every every possible way you borrow that money will be completely deductible if you go that business income route and that business income route just requires one thing to be very very careful with if you want to deduct that interest that interest has to be what irs calls traceable traceable means that you borrowed the money and this is what a lot of people do, and that's a, that's a serious problem. I, I have seen many private lenders making that mistake. That would be mistake before and mistake today. That is not changing the rules. That's always been that case. So let's say you borrow 100 grand from your family in, to use in private lending. But then the next week after you did that, your AC broke or your car broke, and you suddenly decide, well, 10 grand out of that I need to spend. So I will only lend out 90. So what they do is they spend 10 on personal and, 10, and 90 on private. Now here I am opening a huge can of worms. Do not do that. The concept of if you want the interest to be deductible, this is what you need to do. Whatever you borrowed, put it in a separate place. I highly recommend separate bank account. Like don't mix it with anything else. Just open separate account just for private lending, which is doubly important these days when you're treating that as a business. And then from that account, the money can go only to private lending, to nothing else. If you need to use it for personal reasons, just transfer that money out of your personal account, you know, somewhere else where there is a clear paper trail that's saying is, okay, out of 100, I took out 10 and then 10 spent personal. And the remaining 90 is what is used for business. That way, at least on the remaining 90, you will have a clear interest deduction. But if you start commingling private lending money with your personal money, that's a big problem down the road. And that, 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 that commingling of private or personal and business money has always been a, a sticky issue. I know that since the first time I heard you talk, you were saying, hey, look, if you're doing this for a business, it's got to be treated as a business. So that doesn't change with the new, uh, the new law. But uh, well, what does change is that you're suggesting treat, it as in, treat the interest as income, business income, yeah. to still be able to offset it. Do you, do you want to take it next level up, like make it a little more interesting and complicated? Of course. Why do you think I got you on the show? If anyone can make taxation simple and complicated, it's Michael Plax. No, they make it complicated. I'm trying to make it simple. <laughs> but you, you explain it in a very simple way to where someone like myself can understand it. So, yes, please. Take, I say, uh, listeners, buckle up. I have no idea what's coming next, but uh, it's going to be good. So please, Michael, take it up a notch. Okay. I do want to take it the next level because if anybody has been paying attention to what we did, to what we discussed up until now, this should be the take home up to this point. We're not stopping here, but up to this point, the take home points are, number one, doing it the old way, which means the old way was treat that as interest and try to find a place to write off offsetting expenses. Now that old way of reporting private lending business is very disadvantageous under the new law. You should stop doing that. Most likely, the only situation where it's okay to continue that, if you really don't have expenses to offset. You know, if you're a private lender 
which just uses your cash savings for private lending and don't incur any business expenses yet, then maybe you, you can just keep doing it the old way. But most of our clients who do private lending have substantial expenses. So that old way doesn't work anymore. Second take home point would be, if you switch it to what I recommend, which is treating that for, as business income, you are running into 15% self-employment tax problem. So you're, you would have additional 15% taxation if you don't do anything else. That's where we are right now. And my next conversation, a more advanced one, would be so, can you do something about that 15% self-employment tax? Because obviously nobody will be thrilled to add 15% tax to your income even if you can offset all expenses? And the answer is most likely yes. And this is the way how that strategy is going to play out. Now, before I explain it, I want to make a standard disclaimer, which is your favorite two words. <laughs> Keith, yes, it depends. It depends. Exactly. It depends. Because <laughs> some people, it depends on your financial situation, and that's something we would need to talk to one-on-one -on -one to examine where you are. Some people really do not need to go that complicated route. Why they don't? I will give you an example when they really don't need to worry that much about that. Remember how I said, what was the rate of that self-employment tax? 15%, right? Okay. So everybody walks around having in their mind that 15% number. That's what you hear on the blogs, well, that's what gurus tell you if they even care to mention taxation, you know, but, uh, you know, and if you ask on Facebook, Facebook always says there are no taxes to pay on anything. Anyway, yes. <laughs> so depending where you get your information from, but the only number you hear is 15. Correct situation is not everybody pays 15. If you have a full-time job right now and making a salary of 150 grand as an engineer or physician or lawyer or whatever your occupation is. In that example, you are making 150 grand that work through your normal salary. At that level, you actually already maxed out on the social security component of that self-employment tax. I will repeat it one more time because we mentioned that like a good half an hour ago. Nobody would remember that. Self-employment tax is combination of the two. There is Social Security tax in there and Medicare tax in there. But Social Security is 12 and Medicare tax is free. So really Medicare is a minor component, relatively minor. So what you are doing is you're paying 12% towards Social Security, 3% towards Medicare. Now, if you have high earnings as W-2 employee, you by now would have maxed out on social security because it stops at a certain level above 100 grand. So at that point, if you add private lending to your activities, at that point, private lending is no longer subject to social security. You already maxed out. So what happened, 12 of the 15% got eliminated, eliminated by your high income. And the only thing left is a 3%. So you still have extra tax. But that extra tax is not 15%. That extra tax is 3%. And for many people, it would be, well, let's do my calculation. So what do I have? My income is 10,000. Okay, so if I have, okay, 
let's do simple calculation okay and to show people how you how you do those calculations when you don't have a calculator what does it mean three percent three percent on a hundred is three dollars okay then on a thousand thirty dollars on ten thousand three hundred dollars mm -hmm. so what you are basically saying is if you made ten thousand in interest and you are a high earn a high income earner and you already maxed out on social security all you have to pay from that self-employment taxes three percent which is 300 bucks okay 300 bucks is not worth the trouble of implementing the strategy that i'm going to explain in a minute so before you go and implement advanced strategy that i'm going to suggest in a minute you have to evaluate do you actually have to worry about that because like i said it's only 300 dollars if you are making ten thousand in interest and you don't have social security tax to pay anymore now assuming you do not have w2 income or it's not high enough and then you do have to face that social security tax now we are talking about 15 percent. so it's no longer 300 now it would be 1500 $1,500 is something more significant to worry about. It may be worth it, but I'm saying is maybe, because implementing the new strategy is also not, not a matter of snapping your fingers together and saying is, okay, I'm just going to check a box on the tax return and, and the problem is solved. No, you have to do stuff and that costs you money and costs you hustle. So you may still not benefit that much by replacing the 1500 tax with the additional cost and hassle of implementing that advanced strategy so it's always a business decision is do you just let the tax happen to you because it's tolerable or do you go towards advanced strategy now i guess i teased you enough about that advanced strategy without explaining it so let me let me actually explain what we're talking about well, that depends, Michael. So please ex explain. <laughs> Good one. So now, now, now you turn it on me. <laughs> well played. Well played. Thank you. <laughs> so that advanced strategy would be this. You would restructure your private lending business as an S corporation. And you will start paying yourself salary. So before I clarify why it works and what exactly it does there are three steps involved and that's what people often misunderstand they only look at first step or first two steps and completely disregard that there are three steps unless you do all three steps that strategy does not work i want to make it very clear most people do first two of the three steps and there are three step number one you need to form an LLC. You will have to form an LLC and ideally you, have, you would have needed that LLC going back to January 1st of 2018. So if you don't have the LLC yet as of today, then you are starting it today, you will not have a full year of that benefit. Uh, but the sooner you start, the more of the benefit you can potentially capture. So again, step number one, create LLC. Step number two, file a form with the IRS that makes that LLC taxable as an S corporation. Again, step number two, you formed an LLC, that's not enough. You need to notify the IRS 
that my LLC will be treated as an S corporation. It's a very simple form, but that form has to be filed with the IRS as soon as possible after you open the LLC. As soon as possible, meaning is what? Yeah, you actually have 75 days to do that, but my recommendation is to do it right away and most places that form your LLC, if they are doing a good job, meaning if you are go to an attorney or one of those online websites that form LLCs for you, they usually ask you if you want it to be an S corporation. Answer yes, and they will take care of that form for you. If you have not done it, you just formed an LLC, maybe you have an idle LLC that you've been sitting on for a long time. So okay, now it's time to file that uh, form uh, of S corporation election. And then there is step three. That's the crucial step that people are missing. Step three is you have to start paying yourself salary. Your S corp needs to hire you as an employee. And salary is meaning paychecks now. This is where people misunderstand it and saying it's salary, great. I'm just going to take 1,000 a month out of my business account and spend it. Guys, that is not salary. Salary has to be treated the same way you have salary when you work for the guy. You know, if you still have a job or used to have a job, you know what it looks like. You have a paycheck, there are taxes withheld from paycheck. So what you actually have to do, and at that point, a lot of people throw their arms in the air and say, oh no, like that's too much work. Well, I wouldn't say too much, but there is some work involved because it has to be a formal payroll. You need to have a salary, regular paychecks, take withholdings from your own paychecks. Yes, you are paying to yourself. I understand that. But you have to treat it as if it's a formal payroll. Meaning this, you have to take out your taxes from your own paychecks, turn around, surrender those taxes to the IRS periodically, which would be once a month or once a quarter, depending on the amount of your salary, probably once a quarter, but be careful, sometimes it's once a month. And then file quarterly reports with the IRS, not only with the IRS, like if you guys are in Texas where Keith and I are, uh, they, you also have to do state unemployment, so you have to open an account with Texas Workforce Commission and contribute to self-employment. Yeah, it's very funny that that means you will be eligible for unemployment benefits if you fire yourself. Yes, you can. <laughs> yeah, you can. Yes, you can. You can go all the way crazy on the system because yes, that's actually how it would work. You can fire yourself and apply for self-employment for unemployment at the end of the row. But again, there are three steps. Uh, step number one: form an LLC. Number two: make it an S corporation by filing a form with the IRS. And number three will be setting yourself salary. There are a lot of questions and complications surrounding that. So what I'm going to do is instead of spending time on the podcast right now and confusing our listeners is I will suggest is I'm going to put some more details about that on the page that Keith and I are creating specifically for our listeners. And there will be additional resources for those who are interested in implementing that strategy, including blog posts, some links, and uh, some special offers for our listeners. You, you want to yeah, mention I'm, that page, Keith? Yeah, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you brought that up because there is a wealth of, of information at your website, which is reitaxfirm.com. 
And if you just go there, reitaxfirm.com slash PLP, like Private Lender Podcast, the letters PLP, you'll see the special offers and the resources that Michael has put together for our listeners today. And I want to I thank Michael for that as well. There's some, there's some really good stuff. I've been a recipient of Michael's newsletter, taxation newsletter for years. And I have to say, at least now they make more sense to me. In the beginning when he was, <laughs> say this, this change has come. Uh, I, I just, I, I was one of those people that would throw my hands up and say, okay, I'm just, I want to do this the easiest way. But as I've read more and more, I am by no means a tax expert, but at least I feel like I have an understanding of what's going on just simply by reading that. So again, reitaxfirm.com forward slash PLP, be some resources and some, uh, some, some offers, some special discount offers that you should probably take a look at. Um, Michael has some great products out there. I want to just throw in uh, like a little thought uh, along the lines that you were just talking about how you receive the newsletter and it sometimes flies over your head and you're saying, yeah, that's, well, that happens in any business, right? Because all of our listeners are real estate investors. Try talking. Uh, if you are not at a real estate networking meeting, just, you know, any general environment, you know, at your family uh, holiday table or at a general business networking. And you start talking about, you know, subject twos and uh, yeah, <laughs> and things like that. And people's eyes get big and I'm saying, is what the heck this guy is talking about? It's like, yeah. Yeah, I can see, I can see the crossover with, you know, when you talk about creative financing and jargon and, and acronyms and things get thrown around it, it is yeah very much the same thing yeah. with uh, with me and taxes like, for sure yeah like self-directed ira you happened before and people say like what is self-directed ira yes you and i know that our listeners know that but who else knows what that is yeah absolutely and and that's and that touches you you uh you did a great job of stopping me from my my shiny object moment earlier and and went back to the second example but how did how does does the new GOP tax plan change anything for self-directed IRAs or tax-deferred accounts? Well, for private lenders. If, you if, know what if my answer is going to be right. It's going it to depend. depends exactly. Here we go. I yeah. I think we need to. I think we need to title that episode. It depends. I, I will. Yeah. This episode will be. It depends, Michael Plax. It depends with Michael Plax, right? Exactly. <laughs> okay. We should do our own show. It's de- it depends with Michael Plax and Keith Baker. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sorry, go ahead. So here is what happens. The, my, the major part did not change. And what the major part was before is this. If you are lending out of self-directed IRAs, and I have to make a quick, uh, like, st- stress that point. If self-directed IRAs are custom-made for anything, that is private lending. That is like the, probably the best, most, natural thing that you can do with your self-directed IRAs when we talk about real estate investments. Like it's essentially like custom design for private lending. Why? Because you take your funds, lend it out, grow your funds, and there is absolutely no tax implications, no tax reporting, no complicated rules that you can incur as long as you are not lending to yourself or your immediate family. Because with self-directed IRAs, you need to be careful to not accidentally do what is known as a prohibited transaction. Example of prohibited transaction will be taking your parents' IRA accounts and getting a, like and borrowing 
from that account to do your own deals. Like that is clearly a prohibited transaction. I'm not going to spend time explaining that. We have vendors like Quest IRA uh, who does yeah. incredible job educating investors and amazingly for free, you know, tell, yeah, right. yes, telling investors, you know, how to use your self-directed IRAs. And there are a lot of other people who are uh, doing great job educating people about self, uh, self-directed IRAs and how to use that. Like there is a RAI action uh, group uh, by Brent Phillips. There is Right Path Real Estate by Jason Bible, Tom Perry, you know, Tom Bay with uh, Wealth Club and all of his businesses does great job explaining that. There are a lot of people and places here in Houston and even more if you go online nationwide that explain that. So if you are listening to our podcast and not familiar with self-directed IRAs, go get yourself educated ASAP on that. That's a great way to grow your retirement funds and great way to do private lending while not worrying about the IRS. That has not changed. So what was before and it's still accurate today. You lend money out of self-directed IRA as long as you don't lend it to uh, immediate circle of your people who would be considered prohibited transactions. Like if you lend it to unrelated parties, unrelated investors, you increase your account, grow it tax-free. Now saying tax-free is incomplete because actually there are two types yeah it depends of course yeah it depends <laughs> it depends right so there are two types of accounts regular and Roth pretty much everybody heard that but people overcomplicate that concept so what I want to do is very quickly explain it my way which I be as far as I can as far as I've heard around I think it's the simplest way to explain the difference between regular IRA and Roth IRA and it's very important difference. So let's say your retirement account has 100 grand in it. And through private lending, through all other kinds of investment, you grow it over the years to a million. So from 100 grand to a million. Regular, regular IRA account works like that. You pay taxes. You don't, you don't pay tax. You do not pay taxes right now on the 100,000. But when you eventually take that money out in retirement, you will later on pay taxes on a million. Roth is exactly the opposite way. And the opposite way means is you do not get any tax benefit right now. You do pay taxes on the 100 grand. But when eventually you or your heirs, your children, will have to take that million out of your Roth IRA, then that million goes to you tax-free. And the question has always been, so what is better, regular IRA or Roth IRA? In regular one, you save money on 100 now, but pay on a million later. On Roth, no savings now, but you, don't, but you take a million later uh, tax-free. To me, it's a no-brainer if you go from 100 to a million. If you go to 100 and a million, give me any day that choice. I am going to pay taxes on 100 now rather than on a million later. Okay, and all real estate investors are looking at, like if you are not looking to grow your account 10 times, you know, over its life, at least 10 times, then you are probably doing it wrong. That's the concept of, <laughs> yes, 
Yeah, that's the concept of going self-directed IRA, yes. If you don't expect to grow it 10 times, then keep it in mutual funds. You know, those are the things that grow slowly. If you put it in real estate, you expect it to grow multiple times over your lifetime. So you want to have it raw. And then people say, but I have a normal one. So what do I do? What you do is it's called conversion. You can take your normal IRA, convert it into Roth, which means on that, if right now you have 100 in a regular IRA, convert it into Roth, you are going to pay taxes on the 100 now. And people think, oh no, I don't want to pay taxes on 100 now. And I'm saying is, hey, pal, listen, listen what is happening. <laughs> yeah. You are paying taxes on 100 now, but when that 100 becomes million, you are never going to pay taxes on a million. That's huge if you think into the future. Okay, here is what changed by the new law. That's a relatively minor deal, but you need to be aware of that. If you converted something to Roth, in the past, you could change your mind and reverse it. And going back and I'm saying, you know what, I look at numbers, I really don't want to pay taxes on the country, or my account temporarily dropped in value or something else happened, and you could go back. Cannot go back anymore. That, that is one of the changes in the laws. Well, you should not really like you're making growth for lifetime investments, but just beware that what you could easily do in the past is change your mind and go back, cannot do it anymore. So this is my last year. I've, I've been slowly converting from traditional to Roth and I'm not suggesting anybody do this. This is my path, but I would pick a number that I thought, okay, I'm going to be comfortable paying taxes on this amount and my, uh, my income tax return, if any, will offset that. And in some years, uh, my number, my, my guess was pretty good and I was able to take the hit on paying the taxes and everything was fine. Other years, I overreached and I really appreciated having that, um, that do-over to where, you know what, maybe I can put $5,000 back in the traditional IRA and then not, take, not, not have to come out of pocket with anything. So that is gone. So once we convert, whether it's $1,000, $5,000 or $500,000, that's it. It's a done deal. It's taxable. No going back. Correct. That's the new rule. The new rule is one-way street. If you convert it to Roth, it stays there. Okay. Well, sounds like I need to change my strategy. <laughs> well, so, sounds like you need to go on that page and look at our resources. I, I definitely will. And, and, and thank you for that. And once again, that is reitaxfirm.com forward slash PLP. Uh, Michael, I see that we're, we're running out of time and I, I hate to cut this short, but... Um, I know we could, uh, we could go on for hours talking about tax code and how it affects not only real estate investors, but businesses and everything else. Yeah, there is so. actually a simple solution to that problem of running out of time. The simple solution is, okay, if we need to, first is, I would always be happy to come back if we get enough uh, questions that warrant you know, us going deeper into that. But also is everybody who listens to us, I welcome to visit our page which is again, name of our company, REI Tax Firm. And you just put forward slash PLP for private lender podcast uh, hosted by Keith. So REI Tax Firm slash PLP. And if meanwhile, you need individual help. So we definitely help people with tax preparation. We are great at that, been in business for 20 years, have perfect ratings everywhere. You can check us on Google, Yelp, Facebook, whatever rated for six straight years, one of the three top tax preparation firms in, in Houston. So we have great reputation, do great job on tax returns, 
I do private consultations and all of that, you know, just visit our website. You can contact us directly and we will be happy to help with anything that we didn't have time to cover today. Perfect. And, and I'll put all this information on the show notes page as well. Kind of an outline of the, the three, the three, the, the advanced strategy, the three-step strategy, the LLC, S-Core and salary and everything. And yeah, you'll be able to get in touch with Michael uh, via those, those show notes. So, and yeah, Michael, I would love to have you back on at a, at a later date. And, you know, cause uh, you know, maybe in another four years, we're looking at a whole new tax change all over again. So who, who knows what's going to happen? Well, the um, interesting part here is that the current law is not finished. So the whole thing is going to keep changing and clarified for months ahead. So it's still work in progress. A lot of people are asking is, are private lenders eligible for the 20% new deduction under the new tax law? And we didn't even start talking about that. That would be like an entire, an entire new like, yeah. you know, 20 minute talk probably saying, and the answer to that, just jumping ahead is, Keith, do you know the answer to that question? No. You don't know the answer <laughs> to the question about 20%? You do. Yes. I do? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. I'll say, I, I want to go down to the, the CBS or NBC right now and pitch a show. It depends with Michael Plax. And we'll just talk about taxes and how it affects things. So, well, Michael, I appreciate you coming on. This has been great. And I look forward to having you on uh, again in the future. And um, yeah, I wish you, uh, well, I say a prosperous lending, but prosperous tax preparation and uh, prosperous consulting. Uh, thank you very much. Wonderful. And I appreciate you inviting me and uh, starting this wonderful podcast. I'm looking forward to more episodes uh, because I'm learning too. Thank you. Oh, great. All right. Thank you. All right, Lender Nation. I hope you got as much out of that interview with Michael Plax as I did. And please go to reitaxfirm.com slash PLP to find a special offer just for Private Lender Podcast listeners. And if you have a moment, please go to texas100.org. That's spelled out texas100.org and learn how our voices must be heard at the state and federal level to protect the real estate investing community. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's show. I want to thank you for listening and to remind you that it doesn't take any money to be a lender. So please lend somebody your support, your time, or your ear. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time.